Let's pray for Kewen. Extend your arms, hands, feet, everything to him. Let's pray for Kewen. Father, thank you that we can pray for Kewen tonight and pray that you will anoint him as he shares your word. Thank you, Lord, that you broke open the word for him. And as he speaks to us, that, Lord, that you will truly just bless us with your word tonight. Make it come alive in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I don't know if I got taller from last week, but I'm, I'm getting the lights like directly in my eye. Anyone's? Wow. Thank you. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you this evening. We as a church, we are doing a year-long theme called uh, The Disciples' Quest. Uh, I like pictures, and I like the pictures we have here. It looks exciting, makes you want to go on this adventure. And we have a bit of a tagline that we're using in the church to help us sort of encapsulate what we're trying to do. So if you could just bring that up, the nice blue picture. It's the next one. And it's that the disciples' beliefs must be matched by the disciples' actions. So we as a church, we really want to focus on discipleship in particular this year and go on this disciples' quest. And what that really means is that us as disciples of Jesus, we want our beliefs to obviously match up with what God wants us to believe, but also our actions. So the disciples' beliefs must be matched by the disciples' actions. It's not enough just to believe something, we must, must also do it. And so it's holistic, it's our entire lives as disciples of Jesus um, is involved in this theme that we're doing. So I'm, I'm quite excited about it, I'm excited about discipleship and this journey that we're doing together as a church. The last few weeks we've been preaching on the book of Ephesians, and it's a great book to be reading, and we're up to about Ephesians chapter 3, which I'm going to look at tonight. And as I studied Ephesians 3 this week, it's a rich chapter of Scripture. But I really felt to, to hone in on just a couple of verses for tonight for our community. I'm going to share something that I did share about two years ago for those of you who were here, uh, but just with a bit of an angle for tonight. And it really comes from a, a study of Ephesians chapter 3. And while I was studying it, I was reminded of a time in my life when I was in primary school. And I was about grade 6, so that's around 11 or 12. And at my primary school, we had break time. We had two breaks, first break and second break. And my primary school did something very interesting. It banned playing with balls, such as cricket balls, soccer balls, tennis balls, whatever it is. And I think they said it's going to be dangerous to the children. But that left us primary school children with quite a predicament because at break time, what must you do? Just talk to each other. Uh, you know, nothing fun that you can really do. And so sometimes we would like illegally play these games of rugby. And when the teachers come, we try not to look like we're covered in dirt. And uh, what would happen in our situation is that because all this talking was going on, some interesting games began to be played. And this is where my story really starts, is I came out as I'm a grade six boy to break one day. And you can see a commotion going on at the field, and it's at one of those benches, you know, those benches where they watch the athletics, and a whole bunch of people from my grade were sitting on the bench, and they were talking and laughing and having fun. I was friends with one or two of them, and so I went up to go and be a part of the action, and as I walked up to the bench to sit down and join in, one of the leaders, he wasn't my friend, I knew him, he was another boy in my grade. He stood up, and he was obviously the ring leader of this little game. And he said this, he said, <clears throat> we are the insiders. You are an outsider. 
please leave. And so, like the brave young man that I was, I ran away crying <laughs> and went to my best friend who wasn't there at the time, and we began to vent about these insiders. You see, the insider club had formed, and they had the best bench in the playground, and there was enough space for about 20 of them, and only 20 at a time. If one of them got kicked out or left, then a new person could become an insider. But until then, you were an outsider. And I remember talking to my friend and complaining about these stupid insiders and who wants to be a part of the insiders in any case. And they were like, yeah, we don't want to be a part of them. And we would vent. And I'd go, even if they invited me, I wouldn't go sit on that dirty, stupid bench. You know, it's only 20 of them. There's hundreds of us. Who wants to be an insider? But deep down inside, I must admit that I really, really wanted to be an insider. Now, this is primary school, so things move quickly. And so maybe two days later, I'd kind of forgotten about this, and I was, you know, walking around the field at break, and then, lo and behold, someone beckons me from the insider bench, an old friend. And so, out of pure curiosity, I went over, and they said, someone has left, would you like to be an insider? And since I'm a proud man who has my principles, I said, no, never in a million years, I don't want to be an insider. Okay, I wish I said that, I didn't. I, I got on the bench immediately, got on the bench and now was an insider. And I want to tell you something, it's as good as they promise. All those days that I was imagining what it would be like to be an insider, it was better. Every break we would sit and we would laugh because all the funniest people were part of the insiders. We would make jokes about the outsiders and how they were missing out on this wonderful, tight-knit little community that we were a part of. Some people would share lunch. It was the dream. I couldn't concentrate in school. I just was waiting for break to be part of the insiders club. Every now and then when someone went out of line, we would kick them off with all our power and we would elect someone new to join us. We were the insiders. We ruled the playground, us 20. All hundred other outsiders were subservient to us. And man, it was good. And uh, about two days later, which is like two years in primary school ter uh, terms, uh, <laughs> my best friend who was not part of the Insiders Club. The, the very friend who I'd been venting to about the stupid Insider Outsiders Club was walking down the playground, and he noticed that I was sitting on the bench. And so he hopefully came up to the bench, because now he has a friend who's an insider. And as he's walking up to the bench, I see him hopefully, hoping that maybe someone will bring him in. And I looked at the bench, and I looked a bit full. You know, there was only space for 20. And so I looked at the bench, and then I... I looked down, trying not to catch his eyes, and as he did the mistake that all outsiders make, he came up to the bench, and the ringleader stood up, and he says, you are an outsider. We are the insiders. Please leave. And so I just clapped as he, you know, he left, because I'm an insider now, you know, so, and if a space opens up, I could invite him. And uh, this lasted for about two weeks, and then the insiders got bored, and the whole idea disbanded. And so we tried different things in primary school, but I was reminded of the story as I read the scripture, because this is quite a strange story, but it's not too strange, in that it's quite funny that in my primary school there was an insiders and outsiders club, and it only lasted for about two weeks, but it never really died completely, it just changed. It was a cute little picture of a structure or a system that actually carried on into high school. And I realized even after I left 
high school. And that's the system of the insiders and the outsiders. And I wonder if you've ever experienced something of this system. Now, perhaps as I was talking, you identified with the outsiders. Maybe you know what it's like to go up to a group of people and desperately want to be a part of them, but be intentionally excluded because of something that you didn't have in common. Maybe it was not so obvious, like there's not enough room on the bench, but perhaps you were excluded because you didn't speak the same language as them. Or maybe you went to the same culture or the same color as them. And maybe you've been flat out rejected in your life, but for most of us, we've experienced being an outsider in more subtle ways. Like when you find out that it was your friend's birthday party last week, and you never got to go. I wonder if you've ever had that experience. Or perhaps there's that big wedding that is going on in the community, and your invite just gets lost in the post. And you know you should be there, but for some reason, the invite never gets to you. We know what it feels like to be an outsider. In perhaps silly things in our community, but on a, on a deeper level, perhaps you know what it feels like to be a religious outsider, where you see other people are having an experience with the Lord, and you want that, you want to be a part of it, but you feel like an outsider looking in. Or perhaps you come to a religious community, maybe you even came here tonight, and it's your first night, or you've come here a couple of times before, and you're not really an insider yet. And so you see people talking to each other, it's the inside group, and you're still an outsider looking in. And so you know what it feels like, the sense of rejection, the sense of longing, where if you really admit to yourself, the thing that would make you the happiest in the world is if you could become an insider. But you're not. You're an outsider. And so maybe today you identify as an outsider. And I think the Lord has a word for you today. But not just for the outsiders, also for the insiders. Maybe you're sitting here today and you are actually an insider. You're the one sitting on the bench enjoying all the privileges and the benefits of being an insider. And uh, the thing about being an insider, and this is what I found quite quickly in my little primary school experience, is that it was fun for about the first two days, but then something else kicked in. Fear kicked in, because I realized that there's only so much space on the bench. And so Although I was finally, I got my dream, I was an insider, I realized that to maintain my insider status, I need to dress a certain way, I need to talk and walk and speak, I need to laugh at certain things, I need to not laugh at other things. I also am constantly aware of the limited amount of space in the insider's club. There was only 20 of us, so if you mess up, it's very easy to get kicked out. And so a fear kicks in, and it's the fear of loss. You see, when you have nothing, you don't fear losing it, isn't it? But when you have everything, when you finally get what you desire, then this fear kicks in, and it's the fear to lose what you have. And I wonder if there's any insiders here today where you've attained it, you're part of the in-group Maybe it's the insider's group of power or wealth. You're in the rich boys club. And, uh, yeah, the cheese boys, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is that it's nice and you get to enjoy the privileges and it's amazing. Let me not lie, it's nice to be an insider. But it comes with a fear. 
It's a, there's a different pain that comes, and it's the fear of loss because you know that there's not enough space for everyone to be a part of this club. You see, in the insiders and the outsiders system, it works because to be an insider, you can't really be an insider if everyone's an insider. Only a few people can be an insider. The moment everyone else becomes an insider, then you're all outsiders again. To maintain that exclusivity and that specialness, that power, that prestige, you need to exclude others to keep the system up. Isn't that so? The, the, the game became boring for us when other people weren't interested in being on the bench anymore. And so maybe you're here tonight as an insider, and as I'm talking, you realize that there is perhaps some fear in your life. You're enjoying the privileges of being an insider, but you're living with the fear, and it's the fear of loss. It's the fear that someone is going to come and take your position, or the fear or the knowledge that there's not enough space on this bench for other people, and so you are actively trying to keep them away. I thought just one analogy here where people don't realize perhaps they're insiders. If you are in a place, maybe a, a group, a social group where you speak the language that everyone else is speaking, you're a bit of an insider on that language group. And I wonder if you've ever felt threatened when someone comes and they speak a different language to the one that you understand. And what is your reaction to that? Do you revert perhaps to the language that makes you feel safe or are you willing to draw people in? My experience, uh, many times, I've, I've shared the story before, but, you know, I come from a, a perhaps a bit of an Afrikaans-speaking family. My wife comes from a bit of a Spanish-speaking family. And so if we visited, perhaps, or met some Spanish-speaking people or extended family, then they'll all be speaking, you know, Spanish. And I, I have not yet attained that gift. And uh, <laughs> so, so I, I know what it feels like to be a bit of an outsider there in that moment. But then also being in situations where I've spoken a language and realized other people haven't been there. I've seen this dynamic. But what I've realized is often people, so as I was engaging with some of the people in the Spanish-speaking community, it's like a fear comes on because it's connected to your identity. The ability to speak Spanish, it's very important. And so someone coming in, you're going to upset the social cohesion. You're going to threaten what is going on in this group. And you know what? You know when you've got a group of friends that you click with really well? The perfect kind of um, cohesion of social grouping. And that one person comes that they're okay, but they just don't quite fit. It kind of ruins the atmosphere, doesn't it? You find yourself intentionally wanting to exclude them because they're not part of this inside group. And so there are some here that knows what it feels like to be an insider. And tonight, I believe the Lord wants to address some of the fear that comes with being an insider. You see, because if we're on this disciple's quest, and the Lord wants us to be His disciples, He wants our actions to match our beliefs, then this system, which we're talking about now, is one of the systems that goes against the beliefs that help us be a disciple. And if we don't address those beliefs, then it's going to affect our behavior. And many Christians or disciples of Jesus, they live in the system of the insider and the outsider. And this system has a direct effect on their behavior. And I believe the Lord wants to bring a shift. So we have this incredible tension, and it's the system of the insiders and the outsiders. It feels like a bit of a loop or a cycle. You're either always an outsider looking in, desperately trying to become an insider and get all the benefits and privileges that come with it. And then when you finally become an insider, 
You have to spend all your energy and your time trying to protect your insiderness, to try and protect the system. And so you live in fear and you have stress because you're trying to prop up a system which is perhaps not the best system. And if you get kicked out, then you become an outsider again, and you see. And is it true that we have to live in this system for the rest of our life? Well, there's some good news, and that is that we are not the first social grouping to ever have experienced this system, the system of the insiders and the outsiders. When the Bible was written, and the particular the letter of Ephesians around 2,000 years ago, there was something quite similar going on in biblical culture and society. The system of the insiders and the outsiders had been set up, in particular, uh, particularly in relation to religion. There was a religious insiders club and outsiders club. And what made you an insider was your knowledge of God, your closeness to God. And the outsiders were those that were trying to get in on it. Now, if you'll go with me quickly and picture that the Middle East 2,000 years ago was a playground. It definitely wasn't. But just imagine it was a playground. And there was a bench with about 20 people sitting. And these were the religious insiders. Those 20 people would have been the Jews. The Jewish people were what we call the religious insiders. They had been specially chosen by God to come and sit on the bench and to enjoy all the privileges of being an insider. Being an insider came with a certain way of speaking and talking and dressing. Okay, And the way that the Jewish people at that point, when the book of Ephesians was written, had understood this insider club was that one of the ways to stay special was to exclude other people. And so it was incredibly difficult to become an insider at that stage. It was, it was, there were huge barriers to becoming Jewish. And so in effect, you had a couple of people sitting on the bench and many people looking in, desperate to be a part of what was going on. One of the things that made the Jewish people special was that they had the house of God, where God lived. They built the temple where God's presence was. So that was their kind of special gig, their thing. They had God with them, and they protected it. If you were a Gentile, so a Gentile is what the Jews called outsiders. They knew it. We're the insiders. We're in with God. We're special. We're on the bench, and the Gentiles are the outsiders. And only Jewish people were allowed in the temple. Only Jewish people were allowed in God's house. And this was one of the defining factors. They built the temple in a specific way, and one of the ways to think about it is that there was only enough space for a few people in God's house at that time. They had a little outer court for the Gentiles that could come and watch and look in on what the Jews were doing, but it was really... Uh, you know, it wasn't the real thing. They were like the poor kids on the playground wanting to be on the bench, getting closer, and then being rejected. And in this whole system, now we're in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, the insiders are the Jews, the outsiders are the Gentiles. And on that bench, I had a boy, I don't want to say his name, but he was a huge leader, and he was the ringleader of the insiders. But if there was a ringleader of the Jewish insiders, it probably would have been Paul. And his name was Saul at the time. And Saul was the insider of insiders. Is that right? Cool. (laughs) Saul was the insider of insiders. 
What that meant is that he set the standard in a sense. He dressed perfectly. He spoke perfectly. He had the right education. He had the right teachings. He was one who was close to God, and he was dedicated to the system of the insiders and the outsiders. He took it on himself to keep that system in place. And when you are such a big insider, you struggle with the same thing that all insiders struggle with, and that is fear. Fear that this system is going to collapse. Fear that the system that is benefiting you will one day crumble. And if you realize that the system that is benefiting you means that you have to exclude everyone else, maybe you also have guilt, but you fight to keep the system in place. And Paul was one of those people. He was the Jew of Jews, the insider of insiders. And when the system was threatened, when Jesus came on the scene, his followers began to do some things that insiders don't do. Remember, all his first followers were Jewish. And insiders are meant to behave a certain way. But in the early church, the Jewish believers began to do some things that began to threaten the system. And Saul was one of the people that were dispatched to stop them. And so Saul went as far as to kill some people that were threatening the system. Now when people resort to violence like that, you know that fear is involved. What was Saul fearing so much that he would kill people that were threatening this insider and outsider system. And so when we read about Saul initially in the Bible, he is the man of mans, the insider of insiders. He is determined to keep the system going. And then very early on in the account of Saul's life, we read that he meets Jesus. Saul has an encounter with Jesus. And it changes something in him, but it also changes the way that he views the world. He takes on a new name, which is Paul. And so now Paul, the one difference is he has met Jesus. And it takes a while for people to understand what has actually changed in his heart. And this is how I like to describe it. I'm going to take some artistic license here. Imagine the Jews are all sitting on a bench. Maybe it's even a bench in the temple. You know, it's Saul and you know, Ananias and, you know, maybe, what's his name, uh, Nicodemus, and they're all sitting on the bench together, and they're enjoying the presence of God. they on the insider's bench, and Saul suddenly gets up, and he gets off the bench, and they're like, Saul, where are you going? Saul, come back here. This is quite a privilege. Saul, we can't keep this spot for you forever. Saul, come back. Saul, come back. And Saul leaves, and now they begin to worry. What's going on? Saul is the guy helping this system stay in place. And Saul leaves, and so maybe they were muttering amongst each other and going, now we have to find another person who studied well. It's going to be difficult, and I hope he comes back. And that would have been enough. Now they're afraid. Saul's gone. It's difficult. But then Saul does something which lands him in a whole bunch of trouble. He goes and he fetches. Now imagine there's only space for 20 people on the bench. He goes and fetches another 10 people. And he brings them into the temple. And he goes, guys, I brought some more friends, some more insiders. Now, if you're an insider living in fear, this is going to upset you. Like, is he going to take my place? What's going to happen? There's not enough space on, these, on this bench. Paul, what are you doing? Paul, are you crazy? Come back, Paul. Paul comes with 10 other people, and he wants them to come sit on the bench. This infuriates the insiders. So much so that they throw him in prison. 
And so at this point, we've got a nice context for what Paul is saying. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, I want to show you some of Paul's words here. Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers who were mostly Gentiles. They were mostly outsiders. And he's busy writing from prison, and he's in prison for trying to upset this insider-outsider system. Now, you can read this in any version. I'm going to read with a version up on, the, um, uh, up, up on the screen. And this is just a paraphrase of Scripture, but you're welcome to follow. And so Paul explains himself in the Scripture. He says, this is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ, having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so-called. So Paul writes this chapter to the outsiders, to the Gentiles, and he explains, I wonder if you know why I'm in jail. I am in jail because I've taken up your cause, the outsider's cause. And then he adds in those nice words, so-called. So what he's actually saying is that what you understand about this is wrong. And then he says, I take it that you are familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. Now, you must understand that if you were an Ephesian believer reading this, you would have stopped at this point. Because Paul has just said, I take it that you are familiar with God's plan for including everybody. And you would say, hold on, Paul, that's nonsense. God's plan is not to include everyone. Paul, you've been in jail too long. Paul, this is how it works. I've met Jewish people. I spoke to a Jewish man last week, and he specifically told me that God doesn't want to include everyone, that the Jews are the chosen few, they have been set apart, and we are the outsiders. Paul, God doesn't want to include people, God wants to exclude people. Paul, 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 you're wrong. Yet Paul says, no, you're wrong. I've got the inside story on this from God himself. Nice, eh? And... Uh, at this point, you have to either believe Paul or believe the system that you've believed your entire life. Most of the Ephesians, their entire life, they believed that the insider-outsider system was exactly how God wanted it to be. They believed that God himself set it up because he chose the Jews. He put them on the bench. The reason I'm an outsider is because God wants it. The reason you're an insider is because God wants it. And now Paul comes and he says these radical words that God's plan was always to include everybody. It flies in the face of what everyone believed about God. And in Ephesians 3, verse 5 to 6, Paul now explains. And he talks about a mystery. And we know now, if you've been in church for the last few weeks, that a mystery in Ephesians is something that was previously unknown, but now is known. So it's not a mystery to us anymore. We're about to find out what the mystery was. So up until that point, people felt a certain way. And now God has revealed the truth. And this is it. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of Him all their lives, and then in brackets he says, what I have been calling outsiders and insiders, they stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The same. Whether you're an outsider or an insider, the message the mystery that has been revealed is that you get the same. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. This is why this message was called good news. 
Because for the majority, for so long, they thought that they were just outsiders. And Paul now reveals, no, 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 there was a missing piece of the puzzle. What God has been doing through the Jewish people, what it looked like to you, it looked like God was inviting a special few onto the bench so that they could just enjoy these privileges. And that that somehow made him love them more and that he didn't care about you. No, no. What God was doing all along, he wasn't setting, setting up a system of insiders and outsiders. He was setting up a way so that everyone could be an insider. He wanted to create a way that this would be accessible to everyone. Another way of thinking about this, if you think about God's house, it seemed like for most of human history up until this point, that God's house was very small, that there was only so much space, that if you weren't part of the in crowd, if you didn't talk the, the way that you should talk, if you didn't walk the way you should walk, you didn't speak the right language, then you couldn't be in it. God reserved a place for a few people in his small house, and there isn't enough space for everyone else. And Paul reveals the mystery in this way. He says, no, no, no. In secret, it seems that God has been building a house. He's been enlarging it. And now, to know the truth, that there is enough space in God's house for everyone. There's enough space for everyone. Jesus alludes to this in John 14, verse 2. He says, that in my Father's house, there are many rooms. I am going to go and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you. He's hinting to the disciples. He's building a house. God is enlarging his house. The bench is getting longer. Where there used to be space for 20, now there's space for 20,000, for 40,000. Where there used to be limited resources, now there's an abundance of resources. The reason this was called good news is because if all God was doing was continuing the system of the insiders and the outsiders, then that wouldn't be good news because you would be doomed to always be living in fear or always trying to get in. God doesn't try and better the system of the insiders and outsiders. He destroys the system. And so that is one of the key things that Jesus does. The mystery is revealed. And now there is enough space in the Father's house for everyone. And this is good news. This is incredible news. It has profound implications for our lives. Because if it's true that there's no longer an elect few, a small space for the privileged few, and that there's actually space for all of us, then if you are an outsider tonight in any aspect of your life, but particularly in your relationship with the Lord, if you're feeling like an outsider, if you're feeling like there isn't space for you in God's kingdom, if there isn't space in God's house, then I want you to hear that there is space for you, that the Lord has prepared a room for you. You can come in. Tonight, in this very night, you, can, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to wait for a space to open up. You don't have to wait for an invite. The invite is already there. You can take the step, come onto the bench forever, and be a part of this incredible insider's club, which is God's family. But God doesn't want any outsiders. You see, one of the things that the uh, Jews misunderstood, already when God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 15, he gives a reason for why he put him on this special bench. He said, I want you to be a blessing to all the nations. 
somewhere between Abraham and when Jesus came, the Jews forgot that the reason why God chose them was not because they were special and not because He loved them more than anyone else. It was because God loved the entire world that He chose the Jews initially to be a special people so that as they understand what it is to be an insider, to experience these privileges, that they would realize that God wants everyone to experience this. And it was always God's intention that the insiders, the Jewish people, would go out and invite others to come and sit on the bench. Somewhere along the way, the Jews lost it. They began to believe the lie that there is not enough room in the Father's house. And Paul corrects this. He says there's enough room in the Father's house for everyone. And so if you're an outsider, you can come in. This message is not mainly, though, for outsiders tonight. What I want to say is if you're feeling like an outsider, you can come and you can experience the Lord's grace. But I'm not even going to pray a prayer for you tonight. I want you to hear that there is place. If you want to be a part of this, you can. A very practical way you could become a part is if you're feeling an outsider in this church, we want to invite you inside. One of the ways that we've set, one of the ways that we've set up to help you become an insider in this disciple's journey is that we want to reach out to you and connect to you. If you're feeling like an outsider, we want to say you can come in and we want to look after you and we want to connect to you. Here in the Young Adults Ministries, we're busy in the process of setting up what we call flocks. And these are one-on-one relationships that we're setting up so that if you, could, you can have someone that you can meet with, that you can pray with and do this disciple's journey with you. If you want to be a part of that, when the service is over, you can go to the host table and you can sign up. And all you have to say is, I want to be a part of a flock. I want to get connected. I want to be on the inside here. The way to get on the inside is come and sign up and become a part of a flock. This is a one-on-one discipleship relationship. That's my little plug for flocks, flocks if you're feeling like you're an outsider. But I want to just end by quickly addressing the insiders. And the reality is, if you are here tonight, for most of us, we are what we would call the religious insiders. We have experienced the presence of God tonight in a mighty way. We've experienced the privilege of being with Jesus. And I believe that the Lord tonight, though, wants to help set us free from the fear that comes from being an insider. You see, on this disciple's quest, God wants us to take the Genesis 15 mandate. He wants to take what we're experiencing with Him and go out and invite others, just as Paul did. He didn't just sit on the bench. He went out and he invited others in. Paul did this because he had a revelation. He realized that there was enough place for others, that him going out was not going to threaten his own place on the bench. You know, a lot of people struggle to give and a lot of people struggle to reach out simply because they're afraid. There are other reasons such as greed and all those things, but tonight I want to I deal with fear because I believe many of Jesus' disciples don't reach out or don't take a step because they're afraid. And they're afraid of losing their place. You've worked very hard to get to the place that you're in. And so if you identify with that tonight, I'm going to pray in a second. And it's a simple prayer. And it's, if you've heard the message tonight, I believe the Lord wants to bring His Word and show you that you don't have to be afraid anymore. You know, in South Africa, we, many people with, we say, the haves, one of their greatest fears is that their have will be taken away. And there is some realities in our nation, but in the spirit, deeper down, there is a fear that goes on. 
It's a fear to engage. It's the fear of loss. And the Lord is the one that looks after us. And so if we don't address this fear that somehow I am not going to have enough, we will never be able to become Paul's. We'll never be able to take the risk of coming off the bench. We will always be, and we'll make the exact mistake that the Jews made. They, they believed that being insiders was just for, him, for them. And God says it was never just for you. It was so that you could be a blessing to others. So if everyone could bow their heads, this is just a personal prayer. If you would like the Lord to free you from the fear of lack, from the fear of having it all taken away, if you realize tonight that there is enough place in your heart in God's kingdom for others, and you want to make that adjustment, then you can just agree with this prayer. Lord, thank you that there is enough room in your house for everyone. I choose to believe what you have said. Help my actions match that belief. Lord, free me from this fear that is paralyzing me. In Jesus' name. Amen. For all those that have prayed that prayer, Lord, I just pray that you would come now by your Spirit and free them from fear. The fear to reach out, the fear to engage with another, and the fear of loss. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A final application. This is again for all the insiders. We find in our life, so what Paul is addressing is the religious insiders and outsiders. But this has huge application for the rest of our life because you will find that in your life it doesn't fit so neatly. You will be in situations where you are an insider and someone is an outsider. Or in another situation, you will be an outsider and the other person is an insider. And so some practical application on this disciple's journey this week. Will you take as an insider a step of faith? to bridge the gap. You know, the problem was that when the majority were looking in and they wanted to be a part of God's kingdom, in that sense, only the insiders had the power to change. Only the insiders had the power to bring about the change. I couldn't get onto the bench until an insider invited me on because the insiders have all the power, all the resources to affect the change. And if we want to see real change, the change of the Jesus kind, the one that Jesus really wants to bring about, it will mean that some insiders, just like Paul, will need to be willing to get off the bench. And so my challenge to you this week is to look for an opportunity to get off the bench. Perhaps in a social circle, you've got a bit of an insider's club going on, and there's a way to enlarge that, to grow it. And maybe you could be the one who takes the step to an outsider and bring them in. Very few outsiders are going to be able to force their way in. It takes an insider to bring them in. Maybe in the church context, it means inviting someone who's on the peripheral in. Maybe inviting someone to church or more maybe in our circles over here, looking for someone who doesn't quite fit in and help them to become an insider. Then become an insider. Remember, there's enough space for them. It has no effect on you. God wants them to be a part of what is going on. But probably the most practical in our nation, and I, I would be so sorry if I missed the opportunity to do this one, is, you know, we live in a nation of a lot of diversity and a lot of division. And so if this word is applicable for us as a community and a nation, it does mean that we have some insider-outsider clubs with regards to race 
and with regards to culture in and outside the church. I've shared the language story before. One of the most wonderful ways you can bridge this gap is that if you are in a conversation where you're speaking the language that everyone is speaking and someone walks in and they don't understand the language that you guys are all speaking, you can take the step, it's uncomfortable, and switch to a language that everyone can understand. It's a risk. Many people are unwilling to take that risk. So if we're all speaking Afrikaans in the room and someone speak, walks in and they don't understand Afrikaans or aren't proficient in it, why not switch to a language that they can understand if you're able to do it? That is a powerful step to include people. And remember, many insiders, they don't, they're not even aware. They're so enjoying being an insider that they forget what it means to be an outsider. Language is one of them. Perhaps there's someone who's a different race or a different culture from you. And some cultures are a little bit more forward than others. And maybe there's a gap that needs to be bridged. And maybe as I'm speaking, you realize that the Lord is asking you to bridge that gap, not someone else. The greatest excuse I've heard as I've chatted to people in the insider circles in some areas is that, no, they must bridge the gap. They must bridge the gap. The outsider must come in. I'm, I'm here. I'm not stopping them. They must come in. They're never going to come in to your insider club unless you invite them in. And so if you're an insider, there's the challenge. Why not look for a way this week? And we live in a nation where this is probably the easiest place to find an opportunity because every day we are in insider-outsider clubs. So if you're in an insider club, look for a way this week to invite someone in. And I'm going to pray that for us as a community. As I finish off, though, I want you to dream with me because if this is the word of the Lord to us, it means that it is creative and it has power to change. I believe that on this disciples' journey, as we pick up a serious role in being disciples of Jesus. It means that our actions need to change. That how we live needs to begin to match the beliefs that Jesus has. And so if we are truly to take this up, if we're to understand what Paul has said in Ephesians 3, it means that our community will begin to look different. And dream with me for a moment. Imagine if in our community we didn't have an insiders-outsiders club. The insiders-outsiders exist throughout the world. The system still exists, yet it's one of the things that Jesus came to destroy. And imagine someone coming in from outside who is living under this yoke of being an insider or an outsider, comes in and they experience something completely different. Imagine if in our nation, the insiders in different areas would take a step to invite outsiders in. Imagine how it would rad radically upset what is going on in the nation today. But particularly in our church, imagine how our relationships would change. I have a dream of a church where people walk in and they don't feel like outsiders. That they would immediately feel like insiders. Because the insiders are not sitting on the bench, but they are actively bringing people in. That feels like a church that I could be a part of. And I believe if we were to obey the Lord in this area, we could create that community together. So I'm going to pray for us this week as we take up this challenge. Lord, we believe your word and we accept your challenge. That just like Paul, Paul understood that it takes an insider to bring in an outsider. And we believe you so we don't fear any longer. And I pray that as we take this mission seriously to be your disciples, that you will help us to go and to fetch the lost, to fetch the outsiders and to bring them in. 
all, all where we go, Lord. Not, this is not just for church, Lord. If there's a place at work, if there's a place at university, if it's a friendship group, if it's someone man, random that we meet, I, I pray specifically around the languages, if we, around the way we talk about languages, that we'd be more aware of other cultures, Lord, that we would be a people that reach out to the outsiders in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you for being here this evening. We will continue on in this disciples' journey next week. Reminder that Connect is down there, and there are sign-ups happening over there and prayer over there.